He's Greg. I'm Nick. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles, brought to you by our friends at FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Greg, let's start with the Super Bowl. You want to talk about that for a little while here before we move on to Patriots stuff. Uh, was that game on Sunday night about Patrick Mahomes' greatness, or was there more than that? Yeah, I didn't look. <laughs> obviously, excuse me. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is great, and he is the heir to Tom Brady's throne. If he ever gets there with longevity and things like that, we shall see. But in terms of uh, a quarterback that you can never count out, that there that his team always believes they're they're never out of any game because they have number fifteen, just like the Patriots had number twelve. Um, there's no question that Mahomes is on that plane. And this this championship for them reminded me a lot of Brady's last championship, 2018. That was that was a team that should not have won a championship. Um, you know, yeah, they got off to a really fast start that year, but even Tom Brady the whole way, you know, they were 8-0 saying, I'm the most miserable 8-0 quarterback on the planet. He knew that they – excuse me, that was 2019. Uh, but in any event, the 2018 team – had its flaws. They went on the road in December and lost back-to-back games. The the Miami fluke game with the Gronk on the kickoff, and then they go to Pittsburgh and lose, and we're all like, what the hell's going on here? And they sort of changed things up and went to more of a run-based game. But when it came down to it, I mean, having to go to Kansas City, you know, similar to what they said about Patrick Mahomes this year. Well, he's never gone on the road. Had to go through the playoffs on the road. And they said the same things about Brady in 2018. And guess what? He went on the road and 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 won his game. And I mean, you can say that they were ground based and Sony Michelle and the offensive line and all that stuff, which is, you know, all true. But at the end of the day, you know, the Patriots don't a win a Super Bowl or b advance to a Super Bowl unless Tom Brady is just lights out in the fourth quarter, just you know, dissecting the Chiefs and then the Rams. Uh, when it came down to it. So there, there's no question that <clears throat> Mahomes and Brady are similar. But as far as this individual game goes, and um, I'm sorry, but I, you know, I don't like the throwing all these things in a bucket or you know, previously in the postseason and all this stuff. No, let's look at this one individual game. And this game did not come, to come down to, wasn't determined by Patrick Mahomes. What it was determined by was the San Francisco 49ers dominating the game into the third quarter and not doing anything with it, not getting out far enough ahead where Patrick Mahomes couldn't come back or he would be put into a very tight situation where, you know, no mistakes by by the Chiefs. And the 49ers just failed to do that. I mean, you know, for, for Brock Purdy to go six for 15 for 43 yards in the second and third quarter, not good enough. Kyle Shanahan letting Andy Reid off the the hook at the end of the first half and not getting another possession to at least get a field goal to to go up by two scores again before halftime, you know, not good enough. And so especially the third quarter was just abysmal for the 49ers. They get the turnover, they get the interception, the short field, do nothing with it. They had three three and out drives. They totaled, I think, uh, like four yards on those on those three drives with nine plays, and it, it just wasn't good enough. So to me, when I look at this, 
This was a big missed opportunity by the San Francisco 49ers. I'll give Mahomes his flowers, but he should have never been allowed to do what he did at the end of the game. I was sitting there at a party and I said to some people, I was like, man, the Chiefs have played like utter dog crap. They Mm -hmm. played like crap for two and a half quarters, three quarters. And you're sitting there at halftime. It's only 10-3. And I just kept telling people, it doesn't make me any kind of Mensa. I think a lot of people had this feeling. The Chiefs are playing as bad as they could play. They looked like, uh, you know, regular season Chiefs before they really kicked it into gear when the playoffs started. And this game should be two touchdowns. And the fact that this is a one-score game would scare the crap out of me. I kept saying it if I were the Niners, and it came back to haunt them. Your thoughts on Kyle Shanahan, Greg, and what we saw. You know, a lot of people talking about his performance or lack thereof in big games. Did we see that again on Sunday night? Uh, A little bit. Um, Kyle's a guy that I have an enormous amount of respect for, and there's no question to me that he – has a really good vision on what a football team needs to look like to win. And his offense is really good. And his defense, for the most part, has been pretty good. And is, you know, they've, their roster, um, basically all the way around, except for special teams. And you could make the argument that special teams determine this game. And it was no shock that Kansas City was like, I think, top five in DVOA. And the, the 49ers were bottom five in DVOA. So, that, that didn't surprise anybody that that it had an influence on the outcome. But to me, as far as, as, far as Kyle Shanahan, I just – he's great in the regular season. He has a great vision for what the team looks like. But when it comes down to the biggest game, one-game seasons, what he believes and, and how he does things, it just doesn't work. He's just not focused enough on the big picture. Uh, again – I'll go back to that that situation before halftime, you know, and to me it loomed large and you have to know, you should know this already. I mean, go in a Super Bowl, let alone against Pat Mahomes, we have to take advantage of every opportunity presented to us. And with I'm just going through the the sheet. So the 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 Chiefs are driving, they're down 10 nothing. You know they get the ball to start the second half. The Chiefs drive down and they get a first down at the San Francisco 14 with 109 left. Now, there's some controversy. I don't know whether the, the, the Chiefs called this timeout or not, but the, at the end of the day, a timeout was called officially at 109. They called their first timeout, even though there was no reason for them to call a timeout. They were on the 14-yard line. They had all three timeouts left. What they wanted to do was you know, run a little bit more clock, probably about to you know, 45, 30 seconds, and then – Use your timeout, see what happens. Either you get a touchdown or an extra or a field goal. But the point is, is like you're only down one score and you get the ball back to start the second half. As soon as Andy Reid took that timeout, or the Chiefs took that timeout with 109 left, Shanahan should have been alert enough if he wasn't in his play sheet and said, Oh crap, they just gave me an opening right here. So as soon as you know, first down, Pat, Pat, Patrick Mahomes goes short right to Rasheed Reif for three yards, they should have called timeout right there. And they didn't. That allowed the Chiefs to go down to 37 seconds. They ran it again. They ran it on second down. KC calls a timeout. And then San Francisco finally uses their first timeout with 23 seconds left after Mahomes is sacked. They could have gotten the ball back with about 50 seconds left, one or two timeouts, and you have a chance to put it right back in their face and go up two scores 
again before halftime. And that's just an example of Shanahan just missing the big picture in the game. And I think, you know, to me, I think that Shanahan and the 49ers are constructed like a regular season team. They are not built for one game scenarios. I did not think that Kyle Shanahan was ready for Steve Spagnolo and the pressure. They didn't have answers to that. To me, that's unfathomable. To me, they needed another answer at running back in this game. Christian McCaffrey is great, but he's not a workhorse. And he's so versatile, you can use him in different ways, like just as a slot receiver if you wanted to, to exploit matchups. And he doesn't do any of that stuff. So um, to me, Kyle Shanahan, you know, the overtime, I didn't have a huge problem with um, his decision. But just there's those micro things in a game that don't matter in the regular season but they matter huge in one-game seasons in the postseason. He has always, always had trouble with game management. This goes back to his first year in San Francisco. He has not gotten any better at managing a game. The clock management, sometimes third and fourth down decisions and in, in, in play calling in certain situations and scenarios, he suffers. And they don't spend enough money, I guess, on bringing somebody in who could be a game strategist to help him with that stuff. It's a major weakness of his coaching, and it's gone like completely not addressed over the last <laughs> – well, he's been there since 2017. You, you've seen this movie before if you're a Niners fan, and at some point the team has to figure out, we got to help the coach, and we, we got to bring somebody in who can be in his headset or be paying attention to the bigger picture game management because he has struggled. As far as overtime, I, I do think he messed up there, and, and I know I've seen all the analytics people tweeting out. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your analytics. Get out of my face with them in this case because, look, I want to know what I need to win the game. I'm, I'm that way. Like, I, it, it, It's crazy to me. That and, and I enjoy analytics to a point. Analytics people argue all the time about, you know, the, the two down two eight score, whatever the hell thing. And the, oh, you got to go if you're down two scores, go for this two point conversion the first time around, because that gives you an idea of what you need to, to tie or win the game. Why is it not the same idea when you talk about the overtime, knowing what you need to tie or win the game? If you kick off, if you defer, you give it to Kansas City, they score a touchdown. Okay. Now you know you have to score a touchdown. That's If you look at the Chiefs and how they handled it, they went for it on fourth down and overtime because they knew. they We got to go for this. This is what's going to happen. If they were down by seven, they would have done the same damn thing. They would have been aggressive. And the Kyle Shanahan thing, his, his response of, well, I wanted the third possession makes absolutely zero sense. Right. Because what he's not accounting for is, what if Andy Reid went for two, Kyle? What if, mm -hmm. what if you scored a touchdown? You're up by seven. Mahomes scores a touchdown. Does Andy Reid go for two to try to end the game there? I would probably put my money on it. I think Andy Reid would have said, okay, we have a chance to win the game and go home instead of kick it off to San Francisco, and if they score, we lose. No, I'm going to go for two here on my terms. So it didn't make any sense. The final thing I would say is some of the guys not knowing the details, and, and now there's been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of pushback from the Niners, and, and people are kind of, you know, moonwalking Michael Jackson style uh, on what they said after the game. And I think that's just, they're all trying to save face. That makes me wonder again, the details, game management, the idea of what you just said, not understanding spags and the zero blitzes and not being prepared for that. 
does Shanahan, you know, does he turn over every rock before the Super Bowl? Does he turn over every rock that he needs to turn over with his team and yep. with his staff before they go into it? Because after Sunday, it didn't look like they did that. Yeah, it's it's a great point by you, Nick. You know, a couple of thoughts. On the OT decision, I completely agree with you. And in in the big picture, as far as, like, I want to know what I need to get. And I want to know, all right, if if we give up a touchdown or, you know, what have you, if we're trailing, now I know I have four downs to play with. And that's huge. And if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I don't want to put um, Patrick Mahomes in a four-down situation. Um, but the only X factor for me, and I wish he didn't address this, so it's it's hard to say this was on his mind definitively or not. You know, I wish he just would have been completely honest in the post game about his decision. I just want to know, was the state of his defense, having just yeah. been on the field against Patrick yeah. Mahomes, was that really the de- determining factor? Because, look, I could, I could see that. I could see the logic in that. Like, look, we've been chasing him for a quarter. Um, he's getting hotter. Uh, our guys are wearing down. We're not very deep on the defensive line, which I think is a little bit of a flaw in this team, especially when you get into a Super Bowl situation, something that Belichick – was always cognizant of um, having enough defensive linemen in Super Bowls because those games get long, they get hot, they're just, you know, the, the amount of adrenaline you pump out, like it, it, yep. it, it it's a factor, um, which again goes to you saying probably Kyle Shanahan's never really thought about that, but Bill Belichick definitely did. Um, you know, if he thought his defense was gassed and said, look, we've been on the field, they've been on the field, Mahomes is hot right now, I'm putting my offense out there. I feel good about us scoring a touchdown, and we get a chance to get a rest. We only need to make one play if we get up, and maybe we cool off Patrick Mahomes a little bit. If that's his reasoning, I don't think a lot of people have an argument with that. I mean, I think it's it's definitely something to consider. Um, as far as you know, what you were talking about um, with Kyle Shanahan and his game management, which I, I completely agree with you, um, it's it's a huge weakness of his. My idea. If Kyle Shanahan is serious about being a world champion, about being the best that he can be in a lot of different ways, I think his two biggest weaknesses are game management and also that his offense does not have answers, ready answers at the line of scrimmage for what a defense might do. If I'm Kyle Shanahan, I am on the phone with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels after the season, and I am telling Bill, uh, I'll pay you whatever you want. Can you come in and be my game management coach for this year? And also Josh McDaniels, can you tell me how you guys did this with your protection? Sort of meld the Shanahan and McDaniels offense in terms of how can we be better at the line of scrimmage? Because that's a, that's a key for the McDaniels Patriots offense. And, you know, McDaniels doesn't have to be there for the whole year. He can come in an offseason and just talk it through with him. This is what I would do if I were you. But I, I would – Bill's a good friend of Mike Shanahan. Maybe Mike talks to Bill. Bill and Josh both had the benefit of going behind the scenes with another team that they could be competing against a year from now and gain the intel from everything that Shanahan does, which there's a lot of good things, and to apply it the next time they get a chance. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's far-fetched, but – if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I'm calling Belichick and McDaniels. Imagine if that happens and then Bill ends up in Dallas or Philly next year. 
<laughs> Good call. You get him twice that season, and you're going for the division. Uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you about. You, you kind of touched on this a little bit with Brock Purdy's second and third quarter. A lot of conversation about Purdy coming out of this game. What was your takeaway about Purdy watching him on Sunday night? I thought he was average. Um, I did think he made some plays, um, especially towards the end of the game. Um, you know, the the touchdown throw to Jennings was a good timing throw. Um, back foot, there was pressure, tight window. He made some tight window throws. Um, there was the play to, to I think it was McCaffrey, uh, when he avoided pressure and sort of shoveled the ball out to him. Okay, you know, nice play, but you know, it, it was two yards behind the line of scrimmage and McCaffrey made the whole play. Um, there was, I, I'm not going to take this play away from him. I think it was second or third down. The one, the use check where you check had the Jesse James play where he dives and the ball pops out not a touchdown for the Steelers against the Patriots, but it's a first down with no review in the Super Bowl. I would have liked <laughs> to have seen a review there, but that was a nice play by Purdy. Like he started to run, then he came back and then he got rid of it. Like, I'm not going to take anything away from him. He certainly made some plays in this game. But to me, you know, I'm sorry, Michael Fegler. Um, this <laughs> this was not just about Patrick Mahomes being on the other side and what are you going to do because it's Patrick Mahomes and, you know, God forbid, okay, Brock Purdy's not as good as Patrick Mahomes. We got No, that's not what it is about, Michael. This was about, you know, like, he was a C quarterback in this game he was a game manager for the most part he made a couple of plays but in a game like this if you're going to win a championship your quarterback has to make special plays not all the time and not on the level of Mahomes or Brady or anything like that but you know Nick Foles against the Patriots Joe Flacco against the 49ers um you know any other not goaded quarterback like just look at those games those guys had to make special plays and to me, Purdy missed a lot of plays in this game. You know, not a crap ton, but enough where, you know, he just – and you could tell during the game on the telecast, like Shanahan was pissed at Purdy for a good part of this game because he was leaving plays on the field. He wasn't throwing the ball in rhythm until the, the very end of the game, fourth quarter and in the overtime. And, you know, to me, I'm not saying that Purdy can't be a guy that wins a championship. Just this year – Year two for him, he's not good enough. Kyle Shanahan is being held back again, whether it was Matt Ryan or Jimmy Garoppolo, and now it's Brock Purdy, where the quarterback position is not – he's not getting good enough play. And I don't care how good your scheme is. You need your quarterback to win a championship. Your quarterback has to make special plays. And, again, I'm not saying Brock Purdy can't do it because you got to remember, he's only in his second year, and he didn't have an offseason this year because of the elbow surgery. So – I am going to allow that he might have the opportunity to be a lot better next year when he gets a full off season. But if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I'm and and I'm Lynch, I am taking a serious look, having serious discussions about. All right, well, what else are we going to do at quarterback? Um, you know, are we going to bring back Sam Darnold? Do we trade for Mac Jones? Is that good enough? Do we look at taking maybe one of the second-tier quarterbacks in this, be it Penix or, you know, Bo Nix or J.J. McCarthy? Do we look at that? I think they have to give themselves options. I don't think they can go full in on Brock Purdy because I just think at the – I guess I am saying I, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. He's just too limited as an athlete. I do think he has a chance, but I, I'm not 
I'm not taking a chance on it. This is my longevity. This is this is my legacy as an NFL coach. I'm not putting all my money into Brock Purdy. I'm just not doing it. So, you know, whether it's a year from now or two years from now, they need to start making other plans just to have options. The idea that, oh, the, the Niners lost this game because, you know, Patrick Mahomes was just Patrick Mahomes, that makes it sound like Mahomes was otherworldly in this football game. Again, for the first three quarters or so, this team played like trash. Mahomes had a terrible interception. He threw it up for grabs to, to an unopened Travis Kelsey down the field. He forced that throw when he could have ran and maybe picked up the first down. I mean, they were snapping the football all over the place. Mahomes wasn't very good. They couldn't get really anybody involved offensively outside of Kelsey every once in a while. They couldn't run the football. So it's just, it's not a case of, man, Mahomes threw for 400 yards and lit the world on fire. And how could you possibly challenge a guy like that? I also hate this idea of, well, they didn't lose the game because of Purdy. I don't think anybody is saying that they lost the game because of Purdy. They did not win the game because of Purdy. You could say, well, they didn't win because of him either. It, it, it comes down to this, Greg, and I posted this, uh, I think it was on Monday or it was Sunday night, later on in the night. Brock Purdy, when you're talking about going against one of the best quarterbacks, any of the top five or six that have great or elite traits, Purdy can't match that. So mm -hmm. because your quarterback cannot match those elite traits, the margin of error is so damn slim for a team like San Francisco. The fact is that Purdy cannot overcome some of the things that the 49ers did that really bit themselves in the ass because he's not as talented as a Mahomes. He can't come back in a fourth quarter and just lead them on three, four scoring drives like no big deal. You need the operation to work, and you need to, and you need to have it work almost perfectly if Mahomes is playing great, which he wasn't. So that's the difference. That the gap between the quarterback position is that everybody else has to pick up the slack. And if somebody fumbles the football inside the 10, damn it, we've got Brock Purdy. We not we might not be able to make that up. Someone misses an extra point. Damn it, we have Brock Purdy. Every one of those mistakes hurts you more because you're inevitably limited at the quarterback more than the other team. That's the point. And Pro Football Focus has their grading system, and I know people dump all over it. But just to give you an idea, I believe Patrick Mahomes was like 14th or 15th when it came to PFF grades on Sunday night. He was the 14th or 15th best player on the field, according to Pro Football Focus. Purdy wasn't in the top 15. So this wasn't Patrick Mahomes playing like an all-world talent. Mahomes was struggling. The Chiefs were struggling. You just did not have the special talent or the talent at quarterback with those great to elite traits that could make those guys pay for it consistently enough. That's the Excellent. difference. Excellent, uh, excellent point by you. Um, this is why we pay you the big bucks, um, <laughs> Nick, on this podcast. But like, you know, just for example, like, you know, because Felger was giving it to me today, of course. And and so like just quickly, I went through and I and I wrote down the quarterbacks that I would take over Brock Purdy if I were the 49ers. And I came up with 17, including some controversial guys. But I Rogers, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Dak. Stafford, Cousins, Hertz, Love, Herbert, Lamar Jackson. I would take Tua. I think he's like, 
I think he'd be better in that scheme. And again, this is in the scheme. Like I'm putting these guys in the scheme with Shanahan, not just on their team. So it's a little bit different. I would take Gino. I think that Gino with his size, his running ability, his arm strength, like I think he'd be really good in that scheme. Stroud, of course, I would take. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. I would take Baker Mayfield. I think he would be pretty good in that scheme, the way he makes plays um, you know, with his feet. His arm strength, I think it would be really good. Kyler Murray, I think, would be sensational. And that's – might think about looking at that trade if I were the 49ers. Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson. And I drew the line kind of at Goff. I said no on Goff. I mean, Sean McVay said no. They run similar, similar schemes. Um, but I'm not saying that Brock Purdy's bad. And, again, he can be better with a with a full offseason. Um, he was put at a big disadvantage this year. but. He just, and this is this is going to relate to our discussion about the Patriots. He just doesn't make enough special plays and second second reaction plays that you need to win games on the biggest stage. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar bet. That's one hundred and fifty bucks if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in Mass. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued at non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1 800 GAM 1234. That leads us, Greg, what you just said a moment ago before our friends at FanDuel had that uh, little reminder of who they are and what they do for us. You, you talked about the Patriots and coming out of this game on Sunday night. Did the Super Bowl highlight anything that Elliot Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith and company, they're looking at it and they're they're thinking, all right, we need a QB one. Does it change any of their math after watching Sunday night play out? I don't know if it it changes it, but uh, you know I've come to believe and 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 I I keep going back and forth. I mean I, I you know I I think the ideal is building up the team and not putting too much into one position. However, I've now become a believer, and I think it's part of the reason why you've seen the the quote-unquote Patriots offense basically go extinct at the NFL level, is that I think it's really hard to get good enough offensive line play to have a quarterback that is basically a pocket quarterback and is just making plays from there like diagnosing the defense ball out get to get to the back of my drop top of my drop boom balls out like I just the the offensive line play in the league is just too bad there's not enough development time the the defensive linemen and the pressure concepts are too good um to me like you can't just base your base your offense on this is what we're going to do on a five-step drop every time I just don't think you can do it so to me I think going forward, and I think we've seen this with a lot of quarterbacks that are successful now in the NFL, 
you have to be able to make secondary plays, secondary reaction plays. That means all right, I get to the top of my drop, but something's not there, or a guy's coming in free and I make a miss and I go outside the pocket and I either run or I drop it off to somebody. Like you have to be able to make those plays with regularity or you're just going to get stuck in the mud and you're too dependent. Like you said, you're too dependent on the offensive line being really good, having a running game, having wide receivers that are good. And it's just, it's just too hard to thread the needle in the NFL. So to give yourself more of a margin for error, you need the quarterback that makes up for other things. And I just think it's too hard to get things aligned, especially on the offensive line for a guy like Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning where you know they they feel protected enough. I I just think the days of that might be gone with the way the the way the NFL is structured, the way the guys in in the college game aren't getting coached enough on the offensive line. Uh so to me, I think it's I, if I'm a Patriots executive coming out of this, I'm be like we have to get an athlete at quarterback and whether that's at 3 or that's at 33 or whatever it is, um that's what I'm looking for. And that does preclude other things, but I can tell you one thing. I ain't drafting a wide receiver at third overall. I, <laughs> no way. I mean, I mean, look at what the 49ers have done with both those teams in the, in the championship game, in the Super Bowl. None of them had, you know, guys who were first round picks and, and, and you know, spent a lot of money on free agency. In fact, the Chiefs traded Tariq Hill and they win two Super Bowls without him. So, the big thing is the quarterback. They got to get an athlete who makes uh, secondary reaction plays. I have been standing on top of the mountain screaming since the end of the year. Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. I, I am a quarterback freaking guy. And, and that's not to say that if you don't like the quarterback, draft the quarterback. Of course I'm not saying that. If Elliot Wolf and Highsmith and Matt Grow and all the other guys in the front office, Stuart, Cargyle, Williams, you name them, Robin Glazer, oh, let's get people triggered. Uh, let's say, you know, all of those people are sitting there, they're, they're looking at it. If you love a quarterback, if you think a quarterback at three can be your franchise guy for the next 10 to 15 years, it's not even close. It's not even a conversation. It's if you, To me, it's so obvious. And there are people that I respect and appreciate in this business that are arguing the opposite and arguing, oh, well, you can trade down because the team's not ready for a quarterback. You you are at number three in the draft. This is a golden opportunity to take a swing at somebody, again, if you love them, right? that has those kinds of traits. And when you look at these quarterbacks, Greg, in this draft, the three guys that we're talking about constantly, they all have the traits. They all have the off-platform mm -hmm. extend play trait. Drake May has it. Daniels has it with his legs. And Caleb Williams has it in spades. It's pretty much his biggest strength is that he could just make plays when you don't think he has any chance. And that's why people bring up Patrick Mahomes when they talk about him. So all three of those quarterbacks, whether it's Daniels or May, that falls to you at three. And I hate saying falls to you because it makes it sound like they're not they're not worthy of being a top three pick when that's not the case. If if this was any other year, you could argue that Daniels could be a number one pick. May could be a number one pick. At the beginning of this year, they thought May would be. A lot of the pundits, May would be battling Caleb Williams for the number one spot. They all can do that. Off-platform, extend the plays. Last thing I will say on this, Greg, your wide receiver point, this is something else that I'm, I'm very, very, very stringent on. 
Wide receiver to me is the third most important need for this football team. Quarterbacks, number one, tackles, number two. You can go out and you can get wide receivers in the third round, fourth round, fifth round. Puka Nakua, fifth round. I did this on my podcast, the Nick Cattle Show, a few weeks ago. I went through, I think it was since 2017, up until 2023, and I just added Nakua because he was, you know, no doubt a guy. Mm-hmm. And there were like 14 or 15 cats that were drafted in the second round or later since 2017 that you could categorize as number one receivers for their football team. You can get that guy. You can get that guy in the second round, third round, fourth round. And I know people will say you can get the quarterback in those rounds too. It's much more likely. Look up how many Super Bowl quarterbacks were drafted in the first round. That'll give you your answer, okay? It's, it's yes, it's, it's an inexact science. And every draft is different. I don't want to go too far because that, that that brings me to something else where people say, oh, well, you know, look at the, the third quarterback, the third quarterback. Every draft is different. Every yeah. offensive tackle prospect is different. Can we stop saying, oh, well, the third quarterback that was taken last year or in 2021, that guy stunk. So that 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 means this guy is going to stink if he's a third guy taken. That That's so nonsensical. Like the draft. Picture this, Greg. It's like a snowflake. Drafts are snowflakes. They're all different, my friends. They're all different. Uh, this episode is snowflakes. We didn't get today. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, twelve plus inches to about three here in Foxborough. Uh, yeah. Before we before we continue here, this episode, I remind you, brought to you by our friends at FanDuel, exclusive wagering partner of the CLS Media Network. Two hundred dollars in bonus bets if your first bet of five dollars or more wins. And by the way, I know Jay Stu listens to this podcast. I will pay 98.5. I will go give Rick Radzik money if I could do an hour with Felger one day because I just want to battle him until I drop on the floor. I see you <laughs> and him on Tuesdays. I, I, <laughs> what I would do for an hour with that guy, give the money to charity, whatever we got to do, put me in that studio against Mike Felger. Let me battle him. All right, let's get to the FanDuel odds for next season to win the Super Bowl. Greg, here's how they look. Niners actually... Number one, according to FanDuel, at plus 500, Chiefs plus 650. If you're wondering, you want to try to make a little bit of money, Patriots are plus 15,000. Uh, the Panthers are the only team that is worse than the Patriots. Just uh, your your reaction to those odds, the Niners, then the Chiefs, and the Patriots way down bottom, just ahead of the Panthers. Yeah, I mean, look, the Patriots were tied with a bunch of teams, but I had closed out that window by then, so I, I you know, I... I didn't uh I didn't go back and look at it, but I think they're tied with like five or six teams. So I don't wanna I don't want to come across that they're like second to last in the NFL. It's not quite um that bad. But um you know, a little bit surprised at the 49ers. Um I thought I don't know why the Chiefs wouldn't be favored. I like some of the teams. There were longer odds for teams that I like that could come out of nowhere that I kind of like, like the Rams. Uh, the Packers didn't have great odds. Uh, I was surprised about that with the step forward they took this year with Jordan Love, and now they're revamping the defense with with Halfley. Um, but yeah, this is where the Patriots are. I mean, you know, not only do you have an unknown head coach, you do, I mean, unknown a head coach. They don't have a quarterback. Um, you know, we'll see with Alex Van Pelt, and uh, the, you know, there's a lot of unknown with the Patriots, but. Uh, and, you know, they're changing offensive schemes, so everybody's got to learn again, so you're going through all that stuff. So, yeah, I expect this to be a tough season for uh, the Patriots, but, um, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. 
One of my best friends in the world, he was in my wedding. I went to his wedding. And uh, his name is Jim Louth. He works at 98.5, assistant program director. Jim, back in 2001, bet money on the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. He made a he made a pretty good he made a pretty good little chunk of change for uh, placing that bet before that season. So you put five dollars on something like that, crazy things can happen. You never know. Uh, we'll give you thoughts on Robert Kraft and and what he had to say about spending in this one hour sit down out there in Vegas. Most of it off the record, by the way. Uh, but I want to remind you, you can check out Greg Giardi and the rest of the peeps over at BSJ. Fifty bucks for the year. Uh, they do great work over there, and I'm not just saying that because Greg's a friend and I write a column every week for him. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I believe that. Greg will tell you. I was paying for Boston Sports Journal up until like the last year. I was, I was paying yep. him religiously year to year because I actually believe in that, in that uh, website, and I believe in, in what Greg does. So check it out, 50 bucks for the year. All right, Greg. So Robert Kraft, mostly quiet uh, outside of the goodbye press conference to Bill and the intro press conference to Mayo. But he sat out there in Vegas with, I think it was, what, three outlets? It was The Athletic, it was NBC Sports Boston, and it was The Globe, I believe. And he sat down for an hour. Most of the conversation was off the record. However, Robert did allow two answers to go on the record, and it had to do about spending. And so just your thoughts, Greg. I mean, the gist of it was, it's not on me. It's on Bill, never limited the coaching staff, et cetera, et cetera. We can spend. I never get in the way of spending. That's how I am as an owner. Just kind of your thoughts on, first, Robert having the sit-down in the first place out there in Vegas. Yeah, he's done this before, and uh, I'll just be honest. It, it pisses me off. I mean, like we all, all don't live here. Within like a half an hour of Gillette Stadium, <laughs> we can get together for an off-the-record chat like any freaking time. But he's got to do it out at the Super Bowl. What? Because he misses feeling important at the Super Bowl because his team's not there anymore. Like, what the hell? Um, at least like drop a, I don't know, call me on the phone, put me on speakerphone so I can at least hear this. Like, what the hell? Um, so that being out of the way, um, you know, it was a big nothing burger. He said the exact same thing to me at the league meetings, which mind you, I invited other reporters to come in and hear the answer to, because I thought it was important that all the Patriots fans hear his answer on the spending topic, because uh, Bill had brought it up. Robert had not talked about it yet. And I gave him the opportunity and, and I wanted everybody to hear it. Um, so it, it was the same thing that he said last year. I believe Kraft, um, you can look at the spending and this and that. I'm, I'm, you know, look, it's, it's on Bill. The spending has been on Bill. Do I think the Crafts hated it? No. I mean, before Belichick got there, they used to spend like wild men, and you know they're going to have to spend this year just to get to the salary floor, which they're below. But I, I keep forgetting when I go on Felger and Mavs to read the excerpt from Mike's favorite author, Mike Lombardi. Um, his first book, <laughs> Gridiron Genius, page 221, okay? A little bit of background. I'm not sure what year this is. He doesn't say, but I think it's 94 and 95 in Cleveland. Mind you, Bill Belichick hasn't accomplished crap as an NFL head coach. And this, this is what Lombardi writes. I still remember sitting with Belichick in Cleveland going over salaries for the upcoming season. 
When we came to a left tackle, Paul Farron, by the way, local guy, shout out, who was due to make, this is a left tackle, mind you, in the National Football League, who was due to make nearly 500000 Belichick looked at me and said, I have a hard time with Farron making more than I make. Of course he was right. This is Bill Belichick in 1994, what have you, before he's done anything in the league, and he has an issue with a player, a left tackle, kind of an important position in the NFL, making more money than he does. So if you want to sit there and say it, it, it was, it was the, it's all the crafts, and they give him a budget, and Bill would have spent, and they, like you're full of crap. Bill has a complete history, not alone, not not only you know what what he does with his locker room like we're paying Wes Welker this so this guy can't make more than him and keep his locker room in line which I agree with that sentiment but the reason the Patriots have been so cheap the reason why they didn't pay DeAndre Hopkins the reason why they didn't give Jacoby Myers a million extra bucks to keep him you think that was the crass hell no it's Belichick it's always been Belichick yes the crafts have benefited yes I'm sure they're happy about it and they would have you know, some cause for concern if spending got out of control. But at the end of the day, Bill was in charge of all this stuff. And he decided not to spend money. They're going to spend money now. And that's the end of the story for me. There's no way on God's green earth that Robert Kraft is walking into Bill Belichick's office and saying, we're not going to give Jacoby Myers an extra million dollars, Bill. Time to pivot and go to Juju Smith-Schuster. That's not happening, folks. It's not happening. I would also say um, the, the coaching staff-wise, Belichick's on the record. He's on the record saying that his philosophy is not to have too large of a staff. He doesn't like too many cooks in the kitchen. He doesn't like – he thinks it's too much work to disseminate one message. He likes everybody being on the same page. So he doesn't like having a bunch of people on the staff. That's why he kept it to that close-knit circle that he kept it for so long. That That's his philosophy. It's his belief. It's not Robert Kraft. And I would also say, I don't think it's a coincidence. How much was the most that Brady got paid annually, Greg? What, what was his average annual value at its highest? Oh, was it probably like, 20, 18. Yeah, it was like, yeah, 20, somewhere. Bill Belichick makes, or did make, $25 million a year here in New England. Think about what Greg just told you about Belichick and how he views players and what he had to say about a certain player making more money than he's making. I think you could add those two things up and you could say that, hey, maybe Bill, yes, he had an issue with paying Brady because Brady was 42 at the time, which I have no issue with, honestly. I think the biggest mistake Bill made was he did not have a plan knowing that Brady was going to go. He traded Jimmy Garoppolo and then he sat on his ass and and thought Jared Stidham was going to be the freaking answer or whatever whatever he was thinking. Uh, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Belichick made $25 million a year and Brady couldn't get that $25 million a year for two years that he wanted the Drew Brees contract. I don't think that was a coincidence, a happy accident. I don't think that's how it's, uh, how it's going. All right, I'm done. Greg's done. We're both done. Greg's had a long day. He wants to go take a nappy nap, so he's going to go do that. We'll come back later in the week. We're going to talk about something because there's just a ton of stuff happening now. Uh, with the Patriots all the way through the draft. So until next time, he's Greg. I'm Nick. See you.